Amen. All right, open your Bibles, if you will, or take out your smartphone Bibles. We encourage that here. Smartphone Bible or old-fashioned paper Bible. Ruth chapter 2 in your Bible. That's where we're going to go. We're in the book of Ruth. Loving this book, loving this series already. And then in your bulletins, take these out if you would. In your bulletins is a note page that we hand you on the way in. And we want you to take that out. Fill in the blanks. Follow along. Uh, take notes. I, I believe it's a very good way, healthy way to engage God's word in a deeper way. We're talking about the, this incredibly short, small, little book in the middle of the Bible. That's almost like easy to skip if you just flip through the pages of your Bible. But it's a great book to teach us incredible lessons and also to show us who Jesus really is. Hundreds of years before Jesus ever came. So today's message is titled, Moving in the Direction of Divine Appointment. I'm especially excited about this message. Because I want your life to be filled with divine appointments. Anybody want that for their lives? I want God, I don't know about you, I want God to show up big time in my life in several different seasons of my life. And I want to tell you how to get there. Because I believe that you have got divine appointments waiting for you, but they're not just going to plop into your lap by happenstance. Ruth chapter 2 is going to show us, it's going to give us the road map to divine appointments. Hey, if you're watching online, welcome to you as well. And to the right of me, there's notes and there's the Bible. And click on those tabs and you can follow along with this as well. Looking at how we can move our lives in the direction of divine appointments. Well, again, the series theme of this book is looking at the little things that loom large over the long haul. Okay, lots of L words. I love alliteration. Looking at the little things. Last week we looked at a little thing. One little thing we looked at. That was the whole message on one little thing. Who remembers what that little thing was? Loyalty. Very good. You guys remembered. First service remembered. Saturday, nobody remembered. <laughs> you guys are awesome. Thank you so much. All right. Loyalty will loom large over the long haul in your life. But loyalty is going to cost you. Loyalty is going to have a price tag. Loyalty is going to limit your options to other things. When you stay in something, it limits you from the other things you could get involved in. But stay faithful to the things God gives you. I believe in the long run, it will pay off big time. That was last week's message. If you weren't here, you didn't even need to come now. I just summarized it for you. Okay? But today we're going to add three more things to loyalty because here's the deal. Loyalty alone is not enough, really, it's not enough. Because we know this instinctively, we know this through our own experiences, that loyalty um, without activity, it's not really much. It's not really anything. Uh, here's what I want you to hear. Loyalty looms large over the long haul, but loyalty is never just about your location. Loyalty is about much more than where you are or what you're involved in. How many know this? You can be in something, you can be somewhere geographically and not really be participating in what you're in. You can be there, but not there. And everybody with a teenager who has a smartphone knows exactly what I'm talking about. Because you've ever talked, have you ever talked to your teenager and they've got their phone out and their phone is like 7.5 inches away from their face and they're just like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, whatever, SMH, you know, and they're doing all their little thing on Snapchat or Twitter or whatever they're doing and they're just completely not there. They're there, but they're what? Not there. Loyalty is 
far more important than just staying in the same location. Here's the equation I want you to write down in your notes. First blanks in your notes. Here's the the deal. Loyalty plus inactivity equals lethargy. You can go, so you could be committed to a, a, a building, you could be committed to a location and not really be engaged in what's happening in the building or in the location. Case in point, you could be at a company for many years and not take any initiative, not step out, not try harder, not elevate yourself, and you could just stay the same place for 25 years, never go anywhere. You were loyal, but you were inactive, and it's just like tiresome. You can be in a marriage. You can be in a marriage and not really committed to seeing the marriage grow, develop, um, get better, closer. You know what I'm saying? You could be in the marriage but not really there. And if you don't put some activity into the marriage, it'll lead to lethargy. You could be in a church like this. And not really engaged in the life of the church. This is why we're always challenging you to take the next step. And we're always putting these announcements up on the screen. Why I'm always challenging you. Why I always close our services with an opportunity to take that step of faith and put your life in the hands of Jesus who made your life. And go further and farther with God. What I'm saying is loyalty is not about location. You've got to add some activity to your loyalty and watch God use those things to loom large over the long haul in your life. Amen. So we're going to look at Ruth because she's not just loyal. She's, she's, not just, she's not just this amazing daughter-in-law who upends her whole existence and moves across the world to a new land, to a foreign country with her mother-in-law like we talked about last week with Naomi. She moves her entire life to a whole new, brand new life, but she doesn't stop there. She's not just happy with the fact that she's moved. She's, she does some specific things, and I want to call these specific things the roadmap to divine appointments. So let's look at it together. Ruth chapter 2, would you stand with me as we read? Ruth chapter 2, we're going to read the first 10 verses, and we'll talk about it. Verse 1. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go. And I just want us to say those three words together as a church on the count of three. Are you ready? One, two, three. Let me go. She says, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And Naomi responded to Ruth, said, go, my daughter. So she set out and she went and she gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they said to him, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to the young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean among the, and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter. Do not glean, do not go to glean another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, last question, we're going to just 
Stop here. Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? I'm going to look at his answer at the end of this message. But this is God's word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I ask that the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. And I pray that in this moment you will sanctify these next few moments that we have together so that we don't hear from man, we don't hear my ideas, we don't hear the opinions that we might be able to discard because they are the opinions of a human. But Father, I pray that we hear from you. And I pray that we pay attention and let what is said from your word sink deep into the soils of our hearts and ultimately bear fruit into the, into the atmosphere of our reality to the glory of the name of Jesus. Help us to see your son, Jesus Christ, and him only. In his precious name we pray. And everybody said a big amen. amen. God bless you. Have a seat, second service. Loyalty plus inactivity will lead to lethargy. Don't just be there. Do something. Activate. This is what Ruth models for us in chapter 2. So the first thing that we see Ruth do, number one, if you're taking notes, is this. Takes, she takes initiative. Number one, take initiative in your life. Start doing something maybe that you've never done before. Start working on what you're working in. Get an outsider's perspective, maybe, of your business, your job. Ask someone's opinion who you trust. If you're married, don't just get married and stay married. Don't just let marriage happen to you. Activate things to make marriage better for you. Take initiative. Step out in faith. And, and this is exactly what Ruth does in chapter 2. Look at it on the screen, verse Two, again, so, Naomi, so the Moabite, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go, let me go and glean uh, among the reapers. Uh, after him is whose side I shall find favor. And, and she said, go my daughter. I love this about Ruth. She's, she's active. She initiates. Naomi, no activity. Ruth, all kinds of activity. Let me go. Let me do something. I want to get involved here. I'm not just going to live here. I'm going to get involved here. And that's a word for some of you. I'm not just going to go to Waters Church. I'm going to get involved in Waters Church. Amen, somebody. I'm not just going to be in this marriage. I'm going to get involved. I'm not just going to make babies. I'm going to be involved in their lives. Take initiative. Get active. And she goes, she gets active. And this is an amazing thing. She's taking a huge risk. Because she says, let me, let me see if I can find favor in somebody's sight. And, and, and she's saying that deliberately because what she's talking about is there was an Old Testament principle for the farmers of their lands, that they weren't allowed to harvest to the very edges of their field. They were to leave some leftovers. Those leftovers for, for three people, the foreigner, the alien, the widow. The foreigner, the alien, the widow. Guess what? Um, Ruth is all three. <laughs> and she is taking a huge risk because she's a foreigner. She's not from this country. And she's going out in the middle of nowhere into fields with people she does not know. She's literally taking her life in her hands. She's taking a chance. She's taking a risk. But sometimes faith looks risky. She gets out of that field, and, and she's starting to harvest like a poor person. She's got three things working against her. She's a woman. She's a foreigner. She's poor, but she doesn't let what's working against her stop her from doing something with what she can do. 
I wonder what you let stop you. I wonder what thoughts, I wonder what things about you, you let stop you from taking a step forward into something that God could bless. Because here's what I want you to write down in your notes. I've read the Bible hundreds and hundreds of times, and I have learned this. God moves with the movers. He moves with the movers. Like there's a lot of Christians out there, they think that the big idea of the Bible is be still and know that I am God. So they just still, they're like, okay, uh, yeah. The frozen chosen, they don't do nothing. <laughs> God moves with the movers. Genesis 1, the first commandment that God gives to humankind, you might be shocked to find this out, is not a thou shalt not. It's actually a thou shalt. He says to Adam and Eve, he says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Genesis 1.28. In other words, get busy. That's how you multiply. Like God is the original Dr. Love. Make some babies, fill this place up, come on. Like this is the one command of scripture that humankind has nailed, amen. Like this one we got, the rest we struggle with. This one we did. The earth is filled with people. And God's like, go, I want you to fill the, move, right? Genesis 12, 1, another passage. God says to Abraham, this is how our faith gets started, by the way. Our faith gets started by a man named Abraham. But it gets started because God spoke to a man named Abraham. What did he say? The Lord said to Abraham, what's the word, everybody? Go. Like God is like, you know, the parent of a 22-year-old man living at home. Go. Go move somewhere. <laughs> Get your life going. And then I love how God says, leave your kindred, leave your father's house, go to the land that I will show you. Like God doesn't give him a location. I'll show it to you later. How many of us wait for detailed step-by-step -step instructions on what we should do with our lives? God doesn't deal like that. God is not GPS. God is not like punching a destination, happy life, happy wife, wonderful marriage, you know, da -da -da -da, six kids, uh, moved out of the house by the age of 18, go, root, direction. Like, God doesn't do that. God waits for us to take a step, and then when you take a step, he shows up at that step, and he says, okay, go here now. Some of you have waited for, the, for, for life to happen to you, and you need to stop waiting for life to happen to you, and you need to start stepping out into life and see what happens once you start making things happen in your life. Christians are famous for this, by the way. We're famous for waiting on God. Waiting on a sign. Like we tell you to get baptized. Okay, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for a sign. And it's funny how many times people wait for a sign. Never take a step of faith. Like, you don't need a sign. Sometimes I think we wait for a sign from God so that if things go poorly after the sign, we can blame God for the sign. So I think we wait for a sign because we don't want to do the work that requires, that it requires to take those next steps of faith. But God is with the movers. How about, how about the book of Matthew in the New Testament? God has not changed his mind. He's still telling people to go. Matthew 28, 19, Jesus says, go. Get moving. Make disciples of who, everybody? Who? All nations. Go to people you don't even recognize. Go to people you don't know. Go to people who don't like you. Go to the nation. Go to all kinds of colors, all kinds of shapes, all kinds of countries. Go. And by the way, you're not going alone. I'm with you. Why? God is with the movers. This is why we started two campuses. We got to move. We got to keep going. 
We're going to keep believing God for greater things. Sometimes the world far outpaces the church because the world knows it only has so much time. And the church likes to pretend it's got all the time in the world. We don't. We only have so many years. Let's move. Let's take a step. Let's step out and see what God can do. That's exactly what Ruth does. Verse 2 says, And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go. And I just want to show you a picture here in this passage. Ruth, the foreigner, says to Naomi. Now remember Naomi. She was the main character of chapter 1. And she makes all these terrible decisions. She moves to Moab with her husband and marries her sons off to Moabite women. This is all against God's will, God's word. She makes all kinds of mistakes. She loses her husband. She loses her sons. She comes back to the land of Israel. She says, I'm, I'm bitter. She says, don't call me Naomi. Naomi's name means pleasantness. She says, don't call me that anymore. Call me Mara. Mara means bitterness. She's bitter. Why is she bitter? She's bitter about all the bad things that happened to her in her past. And I love this. I love this picture that the text paints for us. Ruth, the foreigner, says to Naomi, the bitter woman, let me go. And some of you need, this is a word from God for you, seriously. Some of you need to learn how to say, let me go, to the bitterness of your past. Amen. That was good preaching right there, and only two of you got it. Right. You need to learn how to say, I am done ruminating about you. I am done rehearsing the bad decisions. I am done letting you dictate who I am. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. Behold, all things have become new for me. Let me go. Like you need to, you just, you need to tell your past continually. Like stop worrying about the marriage that failed. Stop worrying about the education you wasted. Stop worrying about the job you shouldn't have taken that everybody told you you shouldn't have took, but you took and you did your own thing your own way. And you learned a terrible lesson that cost you 15 years and sure. But let me just say something to everybody listening to me now. Everybody has something in their past that they could rehearse and resent and ruminate over. Everybody has that. You're not the only one. But my question is, will you be one who tells your past, let me go? I'm moving forward. Like some marriages need to hear this. You still fight over something that happened 30 years ago. You need to tell each other, hey, today we're telling that past. We're telling that horrible experience. Let us go. We're moving forward in God's faithfulness. God is with the movers. Now I think about the book of Ruth. It's named after a woman. It's one of two books in the Bible named after women. Ruth, the other book is Esther. And um, an amazing thing, this is like a cool Bible fact, this is something preachers get excited about, I don't know if you'll get excited about it, but I get excited about it. It's one of two books, those two books, the two books named after women, are the two books in the entire Bible where God is mentioned the least. Kind of interesting. But you see what happens in these two books is, that though God is hardly mentioned, he works through all the decisions that the women make. It's amazing. And you like hardly hear God speak in these books, and you know, I just thought about this. That's, that makes sense because whenever a lot of women are involved in anything, nobody can get a word in edgewise, even God. <laughs> Stay with me, ladies. <laughs> Stay with me. But I thought about, I know I really want to encourage you, ladies. Listen, you ladies, you are initiators. You are. You take initiative. There's a lot of times it's the men at Waters Church that are dragging their feet. It's, it's the women that jump in the baptism pool first. It's the wives who bring their family to church. 
It's the wives who lead the way in the things of God. Men, don't let the women of this church outpace you. Come on, lead the way. Be men of God. But I, just, I love the fact that God has kind of put this in women, and it's, a science, it's like a sociological fact that women are sometimes the only helpful catalyst in a man's life. Like one... I don't know if I should go much further. <laughs> one of the best things that a woman, that a man can do is marry a woman. A, a woman makes a man, um, uh, they've done research, I've, I've told you about this before, but it's, it's true. A married man is generally happier, healthier, because you know why? Because the wife is there saying, no more Doritos for you at 12 midnight. Oh, and by the way, no more Game of Thrones either. Come to bed. Let's make love. Hallelujah. No, I wish it was like that, but it doesn't happen all the time like that. Come on, somebody. It should happen like that, women. Are you initiating the house of God? How about initiating in the bedroom? Hallelujah. Stay with me. This message has derailed. Back on the tracks. <laughs> men are hap married men are happier, they are healthier, they are wealthier than their single counterparts. They live longer than their single counterparts. Marriage to a woman is one of the best things that can happen to a woman. Marriage helps a man take responsibility. Marriage moves him. You know what a marriage does for a man in his business, in his job? Suddenly he realizes, i got to take care of a woman now. i got to take care of children. i got to get my act together. i got to take this job seriously. i got to work hard. i got to make more money. Women initiate. They're like, the, they're like one of the best catalysts for men. And I, I think about uh, this. This is, this is a little bit of a, a challenge to some young men in this church. Listen, some, some of you are dragging your feet about marrying the girl you've been dating for five years. What are you doing? How do you survive that? Don't tell me you're pure. Don't tell me that. You're messing around. Stop messing around. Put a ring on it. Do it God's way. Seriously. Don't tell me you can resist. I don't believe you. I was a man. I was a single man once. I know. Get married. Even the Bible says better to marry than to burn with lust. Come on, sometimes the Bible speaks right to the heart. Get married. Do the right thing. Watch. And I think about, you know, October 14th was my wedding anniversary. Yesterday was my 17th wedding anniversary to my lovely bride up here in the front row. We're at that level now where we get claps for being married long enough. Amen. I don't know what the, I don't know what the you know, statute of limitations is for that, but we're there. <laughs> but I thought about how when I, when I proposed to Cheryl, I proposed to her in May, and I thought, okay, May, a year-long engagement. We'll get married next spring. She went off to her home, met with her mom, didn't let God get a word in edgewise. <laughs> Came back, we're like, we're getting married in October. Okay. <laughs> one, one year went to five months. We were married in October. Praise God. One of the best things that ever happened to me. And then, and then ten months later, we had a baby. So that's because you love children. No, that's because we loved each other. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. That's how you're supposed to do it. Right? And she just initiated us. She just initiates things in my life. She moves me forward. She helps me be accountable. She helps me be strong. And men, you want a woman like this in your life. You want somebody. I know it might seem like a pain sometimes. You need it. Even God knows you need it because when he saw Adam running around with scissors in the garden, he said, this guy needs a woman. <laughs> he gave, her, gave him a woman. Like, so listen, this is a fact, though. 
I read an article in a secular publication about what is holding young men back. We have a problem in America. It's called perpetual adolescence among men. Perpetual adolescence. And adolescence is not a good term. I don't even like that term. It's nonsense. It's, it's a, an excuse to give men the ability to be morons for way longer than they should be morons. And so these men are not growing up. Why? Two things, the, the article said. Pornography and video games. Pornography gives them sexual intimacy in a perverted way. Video games gives them adventure, conquest, and victory or the promise of those things in a perverted way. And I want you men to hear me. Those two venues are perversions of what God actually does want for you in marriage and family. And a job that you have, to, you have to win the prize to bring home to the family so that they can say, yes, thank you, and celebrate, real celebrate, things that matter, not pixels on a screen. Fight for the things that matter, the people that God puts in your life. And it will go well with you. Let the women of your initiate. Wow. This, is, this is a helpful message for so many of you young men. Get serious with your life. What are you waiting for? Go. So I'm with Ruth. She, she goes. And then and look what happens. In verse 3. This is powerful. Verse 3 of chapter 2. So she set out and she went and she gleaned in the field after the reapers. And look at this next word. And she happened. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Okay, in the Hebrew language, the word is she chanced chance. And, and, the, and the narrator of the story is begging us to realize this isn't just happenstance. This doesn't just happen. She stepped out and what do you know? She shows up in Boaz's field. And Boaz will find out why that's so important later on in the series. He's a, he's a nearest kinsman redeemer, which gives him the right to buy back all the property that Naomi lost by moving to Moab and losing her sons and her husband. And it's like the, the text is saying to you, she steps out, and what do you know? Like, like it's like saying to you, step out, and what do you know? You're going to end up in the right place at the right time. But you'll never end up in the right place at the right time if you don't initiate. She steps out, God steps in. Here's what I want you to write down in your notes. When we take initiative, God gets involved. I'm not so sure about what I, I'm not so sure about this next adventure. I'm not so sure about this next adventure. I don't feel, I, I don't know if I'm ready. You're never going to be ready. You're never going to be 100% sure. You need to step out. Some of you about baptism, like let's talk about in the church. Some of you about baptism. You're never going to feel totally ready. You're never going to feel totally saved. Look, I've been saved for like 35 years. I've never felt totally saved. Because I am being saved as well as have been saved. And one day my body will be saved at the resurrection. But you, you're never going to have perfect conditions to step out. You will have divine conditions after you step out. When we initiate, God gets involved. I love that about God. He gets involved when we take the step. And then look at verse 4. Verse 4 says, And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. He said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. So that little verse is not, you don't skip over that. That verse is just showing us this is the kind of guy he is. He's a godly man. He cares about his workers. He loves, he's a genuine guy. Like the first picture of Boaz is this guy who loves, genuinely cares for people and loves people. 
And then it says, and then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? So he's walking out on his field. He sees a foreigner. He's never seen this girl before. And he's, whose young woman is this? And, and the original Hebrew has it like this. Check her out. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding about that. But he takes notice of her. And he asks his foreman there, whose young woman is this? And verse 6, and the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered this. She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves of the reapers. So she came and she has returned, I mean, she has continued from early morning until now except for a short rest. You see what Ruth, you see what Ruth is up to here? And his point two in your notes? Stay diligent. So you started something, stick with it. And stick with it firmly. Don't mess around. Focus. Don't get distracted. Stay at it. She gets up early in the morning. She goes out. Short rest. I got to get back to work. I got to make things happen. Don't wait for life to make things happen for you. You start making things happen because guess what? You are a child of the living God. He's with you. Pick it up. Tell them they should be at church. Pick it up. Tell them they should be at church. Over here. Over here. We'll find you. We'll find you. Okay, anyway. <laughs> she, she stays at her effort and her work, and she toils and she labors. Hey, some of you guys and some of you girls here, listen, you're at a job you don't like, but you're, you've got to do the job well. I, I just, I think that Christians should be the people that employers of our area love to hire. Because they work so hard, so honestly, so diligently, so, so methodically. You know what I'm saying? They take it serious. This is what Ruth does. She works hard. And, and here it is. It says, she worked, verse 7, she worked from early morning till now, except for a short rest. Verse 17 says, and she gleaned in the field until evening. And by the way, she did this for seven straight weeks. Before there's any kind of romantic involvement with Boaz. She works. Seven straight weeks. Morning to night, short rests. And then verse 8, Boaz starts talking. Some of us want our Boaz to start talking, but we haven't started activating. And here's what he said. Now listen, my daughter, don't go in another field. You stay right here. Keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on this field. Go after them. I've charged the young men not to touch you. And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink with the young men of John. Now, original hearers of that text... Go, go drink with the young men of John, would have been shocked. Because in those days, it was the woman's job to draw the well for the men. He says, I want the men to serve you. I want you to see the picture Scripture paints of Boaz. Young ladies, I talk to the young men now, young ladies, pay attention. Watch for the good signs of a godly man. So that you don't give yourself to a schlub. This, <laughs> Boaz cares for Ruth. He protects Ruth. He provides for Ruth. He makes sure Ruth is comfortable. Way before there is any hint of romantic involvement. Please stop picking up your cues on how to be single from romantic comedies in this culture. Stop it. It's a lie. Those people are being paid to do that. And you will wreck your life. 
I want to talk to some, some people about something that's very sensitive. I understand this, but cohabitation. Moving in together. This is like the new thing. People celebrate. They have parties. Moving in together party. What nonsense is this? It's not marriage. It's not real. It's playing house. It's playing house with a little boy who can shave. That's what it is. And then the statistics are proving this out. The research is proving this out. It's a mistake. University of Oxford, Oxford, England. Not a Christian institution. Used to be. Not anymore. Came out with a long-term long study of cohabitating couples. The statistics are terrible. And the person getting shafted in cohabitation is the women. Over and over and over again. First off, they don't even last. One out of, th one out of six lasts three years. One out of ten lasts more than five years. Ladies, you could give a man five years of your life and he just find someone younger and better looking. Um, uh, the women in cohabitating couples do the lion's share of work regarding children. They make 70%, on average, they make 70% of the household income. The women. That's because they didn't shack up with a man, they shacked up with a boy who can shave. Who likes to play video games and look at porn. Whoa. And then, on top of that, the men in these cohabitating relationships are four times more likely to be unfaithful, which means that those women have four times better chance of getting a venereal disease. And then the poverty rate of a cohabitating couple is five times greater than in a marriage. So ladies, if you want to be broke, exhausted, and end up with a STD, shack up with the dude. And, and, and it's just not good. It's just not good. And you need to have dignity and respect and the boldness and the faith in God to initiate cutting off that situation and doing what God wants you to do and trust him in the process. You need to do it. I, I'm telling you. Look, I know you're... I know you're clapping. I thank you for the class, but some of you, you're doing this right now. You need to stop it. It's not going to bless your life. It's going to cost you. You understand that the reason why marriage is in the government's hand in the first place is for the protection of women? Look at the research. Look at the history. This is why marriage went to the government in the first place. So women would be protected. And now you're buying into the lie of men who want to take advantage of you and move on from you someday in the future. I'm just, I'm just telling you, this is old-fashioned preaching. It's good preaching. I know some of you are uncomfortable, and to be honest with you, I'm so glad. <laughs> Boaz cares for Ruth, loves, shows non-sexual love for this woman with, with, without, the, without the possibility of sex. He's not thinking about marriage. You're, you'll find out later. He has no clue that this woman is going to eventually want to be married. He has to be taught this by her. And he's, so he's, just, he's a genuine guy, a good guy. So anyway, I'm being serious. I thought I would lighten this moment with something funny. <laughs> because this is biblical advice from the book of Ruth on how to find your Boaz. Biblical advice. Ruth waited, waited patiently for her mate Boaz. 
while you're waiting for your Boaz, don't settle for any of his relatives, broke as, poe as, lion as, cheating as, dumb as, drunk as, cheap as, lazy as, and especially his third cousin beating your ass. Wait on your Boaz and make sure he respects your ass. Come on. <laughs> You want to snap that. You want to snap that. Put that on social media. Took it down. Sorry. <laughs> Put it back up there if you guys can. Put it back. Some people want to snap that. I understand. All right, go ahead. Quick, quick. Make it quick. All right. Now, now stay with me. All right, put it, put it off. You've missed it. Okay, stay with me, though. Ruth is diligent in her life, and it leads to a divine appointment. Some of you, you want God to happen. Like you want a God thing to happen, but you're not diligent. And you, you need to understand, Boaz doesn't show up in Ruth's life until she initiates, she goes out to the field, until she works all day and all night for seven straight weeks. And then Boaz. I got some passages there in your notes about diligence. Proverbs 10.4. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes what? Makes rich. Oh, so riches are not evil? No. They're a blessing of God of diligence. Proverbs 10, uh, 13, verse 4. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, but the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. Proverbs 21, verse 5, the plans of the diligent surely lead to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. You've you got you to hear me on this. Christians are famous for wanting God to bless them, but not doing the things that God blesses. God blesses diligence. So in your notes, write it down. Stop asking God to bless you. Start doing what God blesses. This is why I'm so hard on you about, hard on the issues of sexual, sexuality, sexual morality, integrity, all those kind of things that matter because God blesses those things. You, you do what God wants, God blesses what you do. I'm just telling you, there, the universe was made by one God. See, this is what Judeo-Christian values gave to the world. Every other religion had all kinds of gods that created the rain and the snow and the heat and the cold and the fertility and all that kind of stuff. They worship all these different, so they keep all these gods happy. Judaism comes along and says, no, there's one God created all of it. He's in charge. And until you find a way to create your own universe, you got to abide by the rules he set in place in his universe. And you don't have to, but if you don't, only you suffer. I got no skin in the game with your cohabitation. I got no skin in the game. I say this because I love you. I say this because it's true. I got no skin in the game if you don't want to give, tithe, you don't want to serve God financially, faithfully. I got no skin in the game there. God has always richly supplied water church's needs. It's your blessing you're wasting. It's your prosperity you're forfeiting because you want to do life on your terms. It will not work. God is God. Do what he blesses. Number three, remain grateful. Take initiative, stay diligent, remain grateful. Start 
stick with it, and then every once in a while stop, look back, and say thank you. The most blessed country in the world is America. <laughs> if you're just in a pity party moment of your life, just go, just go outside this country. Just go for like a day. That's all you need. Almost every other country in the world. Every other country in the world. Far less than what we got. You need some perspective. Gratitude. Gratitude will flourish your life. You know, I was, um, I was looking at a study that was done by the University of Notre Dame. It's an interesting study. They studied 700 nuns who had been in the convent for 60 to 70 years. And they asked permission of these nuns. Can we do some research with, you know, your life and how your, your emotions and your state of mind is at this point in your life? Can we get access to your journals? They said yes. So they looked up these 700 nuns' journals. And they found out that the nuns in old age who were still the healthiest, the smartest, the sharpest, and the just living well were the ones who time and time and time and time again in their journals wrote down reasons why they should be thankful. It's leading to a study about the link between gratitude and dementia and Alzheimer's disease. This is amazing. We, we want a we we pill. We want a we chemical. We want something to solve it so we can get on with lives. But maybe we need to get back to what God has been trying to tell us for 4,000 years. Be thankful. You want to save your mind? Be thankful. Write down reasons why you should be grateful. And, and then show up to church and give God praise with God's people and say thank you. No church is not a crutch. For some people it is, yes. Yeah, some people need to come here because they need help. But for the people who don't need to come because they need help, you need to come because you need to give thanks. You need to give thanks that you don't need help. <laughs> Who are you thanking? You're, you are made to give thanks. It will help you. This is what Ruth does. Verse 10, she falls on her face to the ground. She says, she says why have I found you? I'm thankful. She just, she just lauds him. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I found favor. Thank you. That's some passages about thankfulness in in the New Testament, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 6-7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Don't just, don't just bullet list your prayers to God. I need, I need, I need, I need. No, no, stop and say thank you. And then the peace of God will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. The answer to anxiety, prayer, thankfulness. Colossians 3.17. And whatever you do, I love this one because it's like, it doesn't matter what you do. Do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks. Be thankful that you got a job. I don't like my job. You have a job. Well, I, 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 don't, I don't like my house. You have a house. I don't like my car. You have a car. Wake up. Do what you got and be thankful. So, moving in the direction of divine appointments. Ruth takes initiative. She's diligent. She's grateful. Boaz. And then she asks this question, right? She says, why? Why are you paying attention to me? I want to know. 
His answer is astounding. Verse 11. He says, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. You left your mother, your father, your native land. You came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you've done. A full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. They say, well, why is he mentioning these things? You know why? We've got to go back to Matthew 1. We've got to go back to the genealogy of Jesus for a second. Look at it. Look at it. Boaz, knows, Bo- Boaz can recognize something in Ruth. He's seen this before. The genealogy of Jesus says, Salmon, the father of Boaz, by who? Who's Rahab? Rahab's that prostitute from Jericho. She harbored the spies. She left her native land, her father, her mother. She joined herself to a people that she did not know. She came under the wings of God's refuge through his people. And you have to see it. That when Boaz saw Ruth, he recognized something in his mom. He's seen this before. And he cared about it. Divine appointments. What I'm trying to tell you to sum this all up is this. Divine appointments never just happen. Loyalty, initiative, diligence, gratitude. Add them together, and I'm telling you, you are opening yourself up for God to show up in your life.